Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, welcome to an action-packed, super exciting day. Choo-choo-choo-choo! Yeah. as a laser. It's Monday. I hope you're having a great Monday. Happy Monday, y'all. Happy Monday. Yeah, Monday, Cyber Monday. I don't know about you. It is Cyber Monday. But Monday, like the weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas are just kind of like, you. I feel like there's an extra bounce in your step. Yeah. That, I mean, Christmas music everywhere and- Holiday season. Full effect. Yep. Yep. I you like got, it. Got a Christmas tree? Uh, yes, we do. I, at this point, I, I'm hoping we have it up by now. It's okay. Uh, yeah, I think we'll have it up. So Kristen is sick, my, my bride. Uh, uh, by uh, by the time this podcast comes out, I'm trusting that she'll be back to normal. So everything so. kind of takes a, so. a you know sidestep when when mom's sick. Yep. Yeah, we got ours up on uh, on Black Friday. Wow. We went out and bought it, and uh, oh, you bought a tree? Yeah, we, uh, an actual tree? We do a real tree. Right on. Yeah. I, I I do miss the smell of a real tree. Yeah. But I don't want to spend two hundred dollars on a tree, man. No, that's like, fair. I'd rather spend two hundred dollars on, on people on things. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But the smell is, oof. Yeah. It's hard to beat that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. It is. Although you can always light a candle, but. <laughs> Not the same. It Not isn't. the same. It isn't. Yeah. Did you get it frosted or is it just the regular no, green? No, just regular. Regular green. We don't do the flocking. No. That's what they call it? Flocking? Yeah. yeah. I saw someone driving with it a couple weeks ago, actually. I'm like, man, where are they even selling Christmas trees? Someone got it up real early. Yeah. In fact, like all of my neighbors, were they had Christmas lights. Ten, like 10 weeks ago. Yeah, I've noticed that moving out here. I feel like in California, it was most people wait until after until Thanksgiving. Until after Thanksgiving. Yeah. But here it's not the same. And I, I'm curious to know why. Yeah, I saw something uh, recently on X, I think, that uh, Dallas is the second most festive city in the nation. <laughs> second most? Who's the first most? I don't know. Better be Bethlehem. Uh, well, well, nation. Oh, nation. Yeah. Dallas as the nation is the most, second most? Yeah, I'm going to Google on the fly here. Is Dallas a nation? Just remind me. Second most festive city in the nation. In the nation. Okay, so right. I'm saying Bethlehem. There's a city, Bethlehem. Um, where is it? Tell me where Bethlehem the city is. There's a, there's a Israel. C- oh, yeah. I know that one. But I'm talking <laughs> about the Bethlehem city, United States. <laughs> Come on, Google. Tell me. Pennsylvania. I don't know why I didn't remember that. Okay. Oh, yeah. Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Yeah, I, I did know that. You did. See? The second year in a row, a study by home services provider Thumbtack, whoever that is, put oh, Dallas Thumbtack. at the very top of the nice list in number two. Well, if uh, who's number one? It. Tell me who number one is. Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Texas City's dominated the top 10. Austin is number one. Austin? Dallas is what? number two. Houston's weird... number three. That's okay. right. Houston taking a backseat to get, Dallas. Get again. me to Salina. Keep there. Keep yourself back there. Well, I, th- I think DFW is taken as a whole there. Oh, okay. Rounding at the top three most festive American cities. Also on the rise, San Antonio, number five, oh. which ranked number 10 last year. So San Antonio, good job, San Moving Antonio. You're getting a little bit more festive, a little bit more cheery. Top. Yeah. Yeah. The average cost. Here we go. Average cost to hire a holiday lighting specialist oh, is I'm, between. I could tell you. What do you think? Um, depending on the size of the house, obviously, and how much you use. I'm going to say between 500 and 5,000. Wow. They said 168 and $300. False. You're buying them False. from Costco. False. I call foul. They're not up to date with the latest. I've been looking, well, man. I've been I've been looking. Yeah, and I think it's hard because when you don't have any lights to begin with, they charge you for the lights and they charge you like 400 bucks for the lights. Yeah. And then they're they're like, "Oh, but next year it's only going to be 200 bucks." Yeah. Okay. Like, okay, well, no. Maybe. Yeah. That's why I put up my own 
Yeah. I got up on the roof. And I heard that you were complimented by it on it by a neighbor. Uh, yeah. A neighbor was like, surely those are professional. Sure. And, and when you said, my name's not Shirley. I did. And then, then you said, hey, it's, I'm not even a professional, but thank you. Right. What a right. great conversation that was. Yeah. It was super. It was awesome. Yeah. Which I felt bad because Arces had been putting theirs up and she didn't say that about theirs. <laughs> Poor Luis. <laughs> Although Luis helped me get mine up on the, oh, okay. the roof. Well, that is so, his compliment too. Yeah. So, in fact, I, I may not have made it up there without him. Oh, did you stand on his shoulders? I uh, did you sing Josh Groban to him? I did. You, you raised raise me up. Raise me yep. up. Yep. <laughs> I'm yep. glad we you got that. That was quick. Yep. Uh, all right. Gog and Magog. No. Let's keep talking about Christmas. <laughs> Ezekiel. Nothing <laughs> makes you think Christmas like Gog and Magog. Oh, this Eze- is hard, man. Ezekiel 38 and 39. Uh, all right. So here, generally speaking, just to help us think through things. Okay. Gog is a person. In this context, Magog is an area. Uh, Magog is a land. In fact, that's what it says. Set your face towards Gog of the land of Magog. Okay. Uh, then you've got these other names, Meshech and Tubal. And so Gog, it appears here, is the leader of these other areas, Meshech and Tubal. Now, you may be thinking, where is Gog? Who is Gog? Where is Magog? W- what is this? We're not going to label. Is it related to eggnog? No. Eggnog is one of those things that I'm like, I like it occasionally, but then I'm like, I I like the concept of eggnog better than the reality of eggnog. I think I'm with you. I take it in like in a little glass just to have a sip of it and I'm good for the season. Yep. Me too. Um, Yeah. So uh, let me give you an outline that I think I found helpful uh, walking through these chapters, 38 and 39, and then we can kind of go back and, and hit on why this matters. Uh, verses two through nine here, you've got the conscription of Gog. In other words, that, that, uh, that Gog is being, uh, brought onto the scene in these, uh, verses and, and Gog is going to oppose Israel. And in, in that sense, I think if we're going to overly generalize things, Gog represents the opposition to Yahweh. Gog represents those who oppose the, the God of Israel. Um, our God, the, the God of the church as well, but in this context, the God of Israel. So verses two through nine, the conscription of Gog. Verses 10 through 13, then you've got the motives of Gog. What is driving this leader? Why does he hate them so much? And what is he after here? What does he want to do? Uh, verses 14 through 16 then describes the advancement of Gog, the the, the attack or, or the the uh, them coming against uh, Israel there. Notice they come from the uttermost parts of the north. Uh, that gets into some of the questions of identity, and we'll, we'll touch on that, I think. Verses 17 through 22, then you've got the judgment of Gog. Um, and this is uh, where Gog begins to get called out by the Lord for what uh, what he has done. Verse 23, then you've got kind of an interpretive conclusion to this part of the, the section, this chapter. The Lord says, so I will show my greatness and my holiness and make myself known in the eyes of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. 39, then things go from bad to worse for Gog. Verses 1 through 8, you've got the slaughter of Gog. Verses 9 through 10, you've got Israel coming in and and taking the spoil of Gog in there. You've got verses 11 through 16, the the burial of Gog, which notice takes seven months for them to bury the the armies of Gog here. That's, That's insane. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. Verses 17 through 20 there, the, the devouring of Gog. There's a lot of eschatological uh, things that, that, that point to what, what sounds like eschatological language here with the, the birds feasting on the armies. That's going to show up again in the book of Revelation. So there's some perhaps parallel there. And then in, in verses 21 through 29, you've got again uh, kind of this interpretive conclusion um, where, where God explains some of what he's just been talking about. So 
nutshell, that's kind of what we do in verse chapters 38 through 39. But Pastor Rod, talk to us about your thoughts on, on Gog and Magog. Okay, so I only have one something to offer. One thing yeah. that I think would be helpful, and it's the, the location of where this is. Uh, within the larger book of Ezekiel. So this is chapters 38 and 39. We just got done reading yesterday, uh, Valley of Dry Bones and the the Mountain of Israel. God's going to restore them. He's going to protect them. He's going to exalt them. Uh, God's going to renew them. He's going to to reestablish them, reconstitute them, going to gather them, and he's going to give them a, a new covenant. And so I find it odd that you have this peculiar set of chapters between what God promises to do with Israel, and then we're going to go into the temple. Which, which points us to the, the eschatological millennial age, the time of the millennial kingdom when Christ rules and reigns. And here you have this unusual leader with an unusual land, and it seems like, like every other time that Israel suffered some kind of onslaught or violence, God says, I'm going to step in, I'm going to work on your behalf, and then I'm going to do these great things. Well, one of the things I, I was looking at here, okay, so we have those, it's going to take them seven months to bury them. They're going to burn fires for seven years. Typically, the number seven references a time of completion. God's done with these things. So here's my best guess on this, and this is not me coming up with it by myself, although I don't know how many people view it this way. But my, my thought is that these chapters represent a, a cycle of events that's going to take place for Israel until something until Jesus comes back. So Gog and Gog in Magog represent what's going to happen over and over again to Israel over the course of their entire history until Jesus comes back. And that's why they're so vague and shadowy, because they represent everybody. They're going to be attacked. And we've seen this uh, for Israel over the course of their entire existence. Even since 1948, they're still attacked and they're still, they they still have an enemy that's always against them. So I think they, this guy personifies uh, the ongoing onslaught and attacks against Israel until Jesus comes back. That's my best guess at this. Yeah. And I I think you're right. I think that's a a helpful position. Um, Not one that I had considered, but I I do think it makes sense when you look at, at uh, the unpacking of this. In in one of the commentaries, uh, they uh, tried to, to pull out some of the different options for uh, who Gog is or, or who's been identified as Gog. And, and t- some of them are uh, just somewhat humorous. Well, like For example, uh, Gugu. Gugu. <laughs> there, was, there was a Lydian king named Gugu. He does not strike terror in my yeah. heart. So they think, well, maybe it's a, a, <laughs> a twisting of the name Gugu. Uh, another one named Gagu. <laughs> G-A-G-U. So, I mean, this is where we're at. And and the reason is, and these are not stupid people that are coming up with these things. These are are, our theologians. These are our historians. These are experts in uh, in this time period. And nobody can point to anybody with any certainty. Um, And I think that lends credibility to what you're saying, Pastor Rod, that that this could be a a spiritualization or a, a metaphor for what that cycle is of, of what Israel would face. And that also bears out then and, and makes sense for why in Revelation we see Gog and Magog show up again in, in Revelation. Right. Yeah, and there's so much to this, guys. We, um, Pastor PG and myself have done a lot of reading on this. I mean, every time we do this, we, we, we want to be well prepared. This is as much as we can be within the time allotted. Um, let us encourage you again. Bible reading is different than Bible study. And so if this interests you and you, you want to go deeper, man, maybe during Black Friday, um, you saw some deals for some Bible software, some good commentaries. Log us. Always. I mean, anytime you invest in a good set of commentaries or resources like Logos, it's worth it. It's worth it because you and your whole family can use it. And, and if you need some resource recommendations, please let us know. We'd be happy to let you know what we're what we suggest. And if yeah. nothing else, start with a lot of study Bibles. Get you know, get t- ten, twelve of them. There's there's a lot of good ones out there. Yeah.
Yeah, and it's helpful. And, and sometimes with commentaries, you'll be able to point to one and say, hey, for this book, this is a great commentary. For right. example, Gospel of John, D.A. Carson does a great job on the Gospel of John. Leon Morris is another one that does a great mm-hmm. job on the Gospel of John. F.F. Um, F. Bruce, older one, but did a great job on the Gospel of John. Ezekiel's hard because it is such a heavy and convoluted book that sometimes you'll read a commentator and go, yeah, I, I get this. I see his line of argument here and, and it makes yeah. sense. And other times you'll read and go, okay, well, I, I don't necessarily agree with his take on this, but this guy's take over here. I think I agree with his take on this particular passage here. And again, it's not because any of them are dumb. It's just because it's hard to understand. It's hard to understand. It is. I mean, when you start getting into the nitty gritty, uh, especially with chapter 38, prophecy of Gog and Magog, uh, you, you, having a knowledge of the language is helpful. Yeah. Now, it's not determinative by any stretch because lots of smart guys know the languages. And to your point, Pastor PJ, we still say, oh, that sounds better than this one. Knowing some of the languages is helpful. In this case, knowing the language is actually something of a detriment because now you're saying, okay, I understand what the, the grammar says. I know what it looks like, but it doesn't add a whole lot of clarity. In fact, there's a lot of ambiguity, even in the translation of, cha- uh, of chapter 38, verse 2. It's not so different that you would say, oh, this doesn't even make sense in English. No, it does. It's just a matter of... <laughs> Chief Prince of Meshech and Tubal. Are we talking about a different leader here? Is it Rosh, uh, the Chief Prince Rosh, and then Meshech and Tubal, or is it Chief Prince of Meshech and Tubal? It's things like that where it may not helpful be helpful to get in the minutia, but it is helpful to have a lot of good study Bibles because those are really going to be high level, popular level interpretations, which can be a, a amazing benefit. Yep. Yep. Well, we'd like to tell you it gets easier, but tomorrow we get to talk about the New Temple, chapters forty through forty eight. Man, that's going to be fun. And it's, uh, man, can't wait. Please tune in tomorrow because I have no idea what we're going to say. It's going to be a surprise <laughs> to all of us. All of us, that's true. Because we never rehearse these. Right. Hey, First Peter chapter 4. I'm there. All right. Stewards of God's Grace is the title in the ESV. Uh, a couple of things. Let's just jump straight to the one of the, the more confusing verses. Verse 6. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way the people are, they might live in the spirit, the way that God does. Who are those that are dead and why is the gospel being preached to them? Um, let's talk about, number one, the, the wrong option. This is not a second, second chance, chance man. for somebody to be saved. Yeah, Sorry, Mormons. Love you guys, but Sorry, not Rob true. Bell. Love doesn't win. Yeah, Rob Bell, you're wrong with yeah. that too. Um, yeah, this is not suggesting that there's a group of, of people. This is not a purgatory situation. This is not... Uh, people who died without a knowledge of the gospel situation. This is uh, this is not that. So, which begs the question: Well, then, what is it? What or who? Yeah. Well, look at verse five. It says they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Right. And so here, then we have to to figure out what is what is death representing here? Who are those that are dead? And and it says there that that uh, they are judged in the flesh. Well, what is it to be judged in the flesh, but to experience physical death? That is is what uh, the main judgment in the flesh is. And, and there are different views on this, but I think where I land is I, I, these are those that had the gospel preached to them when they were, were alive, then they died, and then they were able to live in the spirit because when they were alive, they uh, responded in faith to the gospel. In other words, this is simpler than it appears at its its surface, that this is not suggesting that this is preached to people who are dead and that they're hearing it while they're dead, but that they are now dead, but they heard the gospel prior to that. And that's what caused them to be born again so that they might now live 
as God does. Amen, bro. And I would say that makes perfect sense in light of the context. Yeah. Uh, Peter's encouragement to them is, hey, arm yourselves with suffering in the flesh so that you can live a righteous life so that you're not judged like everybody else is. Right. And so when he talks about preaching the gospel to those who are, we might say, now dead, uh, you're not going to suffer judgment. You're going to live because you've been saved and consequently you're living a life that is above reproach. And so then he goes on through a list of admonitions and encouragements that makes perfect sense of the context. So I would commend that interpretation to you. Awesome. We agree. Uh, Hey, uh, verse eight, interesting here. He says, above all, we talked about that before. Another above all. phrase, right? Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. That would make sense to me. Yeah. Since love covers a multitude of sin. Look at uh, chapter three, verse eight. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart and a humble mind. Listen, we can't have any of those things if we're not doing this, if we're not loving one another earnestly, uh, since love covers a multitude of sins. What that is referring to or implying there is that there are times where if you're going to love somebody, you can choose to love them by overlooking that offense that has been brought up against you. And if it's a situation where you are grieved over their sin against God, then yeah, you need to go and and bring it up with them. But if your offense is more or your grief is more over it inconvenienced you or it annoyed you, Man, love can cover over that and for the sake of unity, preserve the unity. That's so important in the body of Christ. In our church, as we think about our church family, listen, we're going to sin against each other and we're going to have smaller things and, and kind of more petty issues that we have the opportunity to exercise grace with with each other and, and let love cover that multitude of sins in that that regard. And what an evergreen encouragement. I mean, how many times are you annoyed just driving from today to this podcast? <laughs> right now, Pastor PJ, as we have this conversation. I mean, just think about all the times where your little things just bother us. Right. You know, people say things to us and it's, they say it in a way that we receive as being offensive or right. thoughtless. We, we don't outgrow this. And I just think about Peter's desire. I want to remind you guys of these things. We need the reminders. Yes, we're not we above do. those. And sometimes we go to church. We're like, oh, I've heard this sermon before. I know the points. I understand. Yeah, but do you though? Right. <laughs> do we? I don't think you do. Yeah. We, we keep hearing the same things, but we don't always respond the right way. So I think it's good for us to be reminded to love one another earnestly. And that starts at home, guys. It does. That starts at home, man. It's so easy to be to let your hair down in a wrong way at home. You yep. know, you're shorter with your wife and your kids because, oh, this this is, you know, they know me and this is the way things are. We're so much nicer to strangers. And, and I, I, I lament that in myself too. It's so easy for me to put on a good face when I'm in front of others, but I want to have the same face everywhere. Yeah. I don't want to be that way. So that's a good encouragement, Pastor PJ. Let's do that. Yep. Yeah, I agree with you. At home, husbands and wives. Yeah, there can be, a marriage can suffer greatly due to, a multitude of paper cuts. <laughs> yeah. And, and a uh, lot of hypocrisy to boot. Yeah. Sometimes we need to put the paper down. Put the paper down. And stop. Yeah. Verse 17 can be confusing as well. Uh, so let's hit on that for a second. It says, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Well, what does it mean that judgment begins at the household of God? It means that God judges those that are his. He disciplines those. We've talked about that. In the well, is it judgment or is it discipline? And how Hebrews. are they different? Um, well, the word is judgment. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I did want to point that out. Yes. Yes, it is. I, I, I do think both concepts are, are present. Um, you have thoughts on this. Well, I do. I, I don't want people to, to misunderstand the word judgment, I guess is what I'm getting at. Christians are not judged the same way. Right. It might be the same word, but we aren't judged in the same way that the world is judged. This is a, this is a first Corinthians 11 kind of situation where God does on occasion discipline his kids in such a way where the judgment is you're going to be killed. 
think about those who took the communion in an unworthy way. That's why Paul says some of you are sick and weak, and even some of you have died. God's judgment could be, you need to die, son or daughter, and I'm going to do that in order to keep you from sinning more greatly. Right. Right. And and that's really Peter's point here is he's saying, look, if that's happening with his own, if that's happening in the church, how much greater is it going to be for, for those sinner, outside the, the, the household of God? Right. Um, so, yeah, he's pointing there. He's saying, look, it, this is something that happens. This happens to believers. And so if it happens here, it's going to happen in greater regard. That's right. Um, a fortiori is the uh, argument there from the lesser to the greater. Oh, say that again. So, a fortiori. A for, not a fortiori? I've seen. I, I, okay. I've heard it both ways. I'm not a, a Latin scholar. Fortiori, so I fortiori? I, I don't know. Somebody is. Somebody who's going to one of those Someone schools jealous. that takes Latin. <laughs> I took Latin in school. Let me okay, you. then you should know it, right? Then no, I'm going to trust your... No, because okay. here's the deal. You know what Latin does for you in school? What does it do? Nothing. It makes you be able to say, I go to a classical school that teaches Latin. Well, don't, I mean, like, doesn't that's what Latin it does for bleed you. in like everything in our language? I mean, not everything. Listen, our, our language is a... Listen, okay. you can think that you've got that kid that's going to hold on to that and it's going to help them learn Spanish and Italian and everything else. I, I'm here to tell you, I went to a school, they taught me Latin. You want, want to know what I remember? Ubi es domatia. You know what that means? It means where's domatia? That's it. I, I remember two words of Latin for my entire time. Yeah, but that's true for anything, right? You use it or lose it. Did it? Do you think it helped you in any way in preparation for things like Greek and Hebrew? No. No? No, because there was so much distance be- between when I took Latin and when I took those things. Okay. Well, yeah. That's different. Okay. And, and I'm just telling you, parents out there, like, don't make your kid hold on to his Latin from the time that he's in sixth grade until the time he goes to college. Like... What, whatever, I'll get down have with him, my soapbox. Have them learn uh, Koine Greek. Let's right. do that one. That would <laughs> be worth it. Like, fine. You want to learn Latin, that's that's great. But let's not make it look like we're in a different class of, of individuals because we learn Latin. You're like, really upset about this, Pastor Peter. I just, I, I don't know. vein in your head is I don't, popping. I I don't, there's a lot that I don't get. Like, and and don't even get me started on pre-calculus. Oh, no. When you take that and they're like, oh, you'll use this all the time when you get, okay, you know what I use less than I use Latin? Pre-calculus. Anyways, hey, we love you guys. And uh, let love cover over a multitude of offenses. If you disagree with me, love me through it anyways. And we'll catch you guys tomorrow for another episode. So tune in then. See you guys. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Thank you.